0: Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life.
1: Are you set to have the best Christmas ever? Even better, do you hope to give a gift that helps someone else have the best Christmas ever? Register staff writer Peter Jesser Smith brings us a heartwarming story of how one parish in Minnesota generously helped a family and a community do just that. And we also look to Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol to learn the importance of Christmas past, present, and future. Register columnist John Grondelski guides us through this lesson. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined here by my co-host Matthew Bunsen who is the EWTN News Executive Editor uh, Matthew, you and I are working with our teams to get all of our Christmas and New Year's content done, well, as much as we can, because news continues <laughs> continues to happen despite uh, these holy days. But are there any special uh, items, any special content coming up that you can tease for us?
2: Yeah, I think uh, on EWTN News Nightly, there's been a lot of focus on Advent and helping all of us uh, really become holier throughout the, this season. Uh, we'll have the end of the year uh, reviews, especially on News Nightly. and of course in World Over, they'll be uh, looking at uh, Christmas and into uh, the new year.
1: Yeah, wonderful, yeah because we do still have several days of Advent left. we can't remember we can't forget that. Um, and you know last week as I proofed uh, the register's Christmas print edition, I was really enlightened by what our columnist uh, offered, you know, they wrote these wonderful pieces um, from a historical and cultural and spiritual point of view all about Christmas, and today we're going to highlight some of that content. It really edified me, and I hope that it will edify our listeners and our readers. So joining us today is Register columnist John Grendelski, who's been writing a regular column on scripture and art for the Register, Uh, but he also writes a lot on the liturgical seasons and feasts and occasionally He dabs into the moral and social issues because he's got a great background in moral theology. Uh, John, welcome back to Register Radio.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
1: So this article that really, of all the content that I read last week as I proofread the paper, the one that uh, jumped out to me and just uh, personally hit me, maybe just uh, because of some of the spiritual reflections I was doing, was uh, Christmas uh, celebrating Christmas Past, Present, and Yet to Come. Uh, so that's how we titled your article. And it's, as I said, based on uh, the the Charles Dickens Christmas Carol. And I'm going to read, pardon me, I'm talking too much already, but I'm going to read um, uh, the line. Uh, it's a quote from Ebenezer Scrooge. And he says, towards the end of the Christmas Carol, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year I will live in the past, the present, and the future, uh, and that's that's really what you base this piece off of, John. Uh, that is that quote, and I just want to delve into it to each of those parts because you did such a great job in your column uh, breaking them down. So first off, what what can we learn from from the Christmas past?
3: Well, I think if we look at Christmas, we we just can't look at it as a past event. Uh, Certainly, Jesus' birth took place at a given moment in history. We've seen in the Gospels this year, especially, St. Luke gives us all sorts of historical markers when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and Pontius Pilate was procurator, and Herod Antipas was tetrarch. So we know that there was a historical event. But to simply leave it as a historical event. I mean, George Washington was born, but I mean, it did change world history. Mm -hmm. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was born, and I don't, you know, go around every day thinking about that fact. But the birth of Jesus Christ as a historical event continues to shape and mold my present and my future. And that's, I think, how we need to look at uh, Christmas past. something that is part of Christmas present and Christmas yet to come.
1: Okay. And so when we, and we all have a tendency to kind of, even in our own lives, not only think about the the past as, okay, the past event, the fact of Christmas, uh, of, Christmas the, of Jesus's birth, but sometimes I think nostalgically we even think about our own Christmas's past, right? Just those a happy memories or, um, you, you know, the stuff of, of childhood Christmas, Santa, and all of that. I mean, it gets wrapped up in the commercial ideas, I think, sometimes when we think of Christmas past. Um, and, and so that's what made, it, it's something that made me think as I'm forming memories with my children. Um, but, but then you wrote that in Christmas present, I, I love this line, Christmas pres- present is whether Christ is made present in my life here and now. What do you mean by that, and and how can we do that?
3: Well, we do it every day, or we can do it every day, because the sacraments are precisely about that. The sacraments are about making Christ present here and now. The same Jesus that was born in Bethlehem uh, 2,000-plus years ago is born on the altar in my town here of Falls Church, Virginia, uh, every morning at 630 uh, Jesus, when uh, I receive the sacrament of penance, it is that same Christ that touches me as touched the uh, tax collectors and, and the people of his day and, and proclaimed the forgiveness of sins. So, you know, we need to remember that the sacraments are about making Christ present in our lives here and now to applying what Jesus did for us. In, in the past, Sal- Jesus uh, salvation has two sides to it. It has an objective side. Jesus achieved, made it possible for humanity to be saved. But he also, but he didn't guarantee that that salvation is going to acom- uh, to encompass me. That's something that I have to work for. I have to apply in my life. I have to work on here and now, and that's what the Church, through her prayers, through her liturgy, through her sacraments, makes possible.
2: You know, Advent has a sense of anticipation that we're looking forward, uh, and so here we are with the question of Christmas yet to come. Uh, in that coming of Christ, uh, how can we get the most out of that?
3: Well, again, I think it's also tied up with our, our understanding of history. I mean, if, we, if we think of history as, you know, a bunch of one-off past events that happened, finished, they're gone, nice, thing happened, good, write it down on your history test. Uh, you know, that's that's one way of looking at history. But if we look at history as a continuity, as something that sets things in motion. Well what happened in the cave of Bethlehem and what happened in the cave of Easter continues to have a purpose and a drive in my life leading to uh, the second coming this is this is one chain of salvation history and the church gets into that on the very first Sunday of Advent because the very first Sunday of Advent doesn't focus on uh, Jesus's first coming in Bethlehem it focuses on his second coming uh, at the end of time and it's those two poles that are an essential part of the Christian life of Advent and the meaning of Christmas
1: you know, John, it's that very um, that very aspect of Christmas yet to come, or just this the future Christmas, um, that kind of struck me, and um, I I was I guess praying recently my my grandfather. Uh, died last year um in January. So last Christmas was the last Christmas with him. He he was almost ninety-four and um and I was just missing him as I'm prepping for, for um for Christmas and thinking about that that uh last Christmas and some of the joyful times we had with him. Um he was still well enough, you know, to be with us all and anyway I just um I was kind of almost asking him with our Lord, just thinking of him being and, and saying, what what were your lessons in your life? Teach me, you know, Papa, those lessons that, that you learned. And it's kind of funny. I'm reading, you know, your column and I'm going, wow, it's like, you know, the ghost of Christmas <laughs> teaching the lessons. And one of the things I felt my grandfather, you know, saying was don't let um, a minute pass by in your life where you aren't remembering eternity, you know, mm-hmm. um, that that. That, you know, the problems of now, all these little things that come up and, and just make you angry or make you frustrated or get you in a tizzy um, or, or stressed out, like those things, those are important often, um, but they're nothing. They pale in comparison with eternity. And um, and so, you know, when I read your piece, I was really just like, wow, this is kind of confirming some of these lessons that I felt that I was was. Uh, getting in my spiritual life, in my, sp- in my prayer, um, especially your, remem- your reminder about, um, about the Hail Mary. Can you share with us what, what you wrote about um, just the Hail Mary's reminder?
3: Well, if we look at the second part of the Hail Mary, there are, uh, we ask Our Lady to pray for us at two particular moments, now and at the hour of our death. And those are the only two moments that were guaranteed in life. Everything else is a promissory note. Everything else <laughs> is a, a possibility, uh, as uh, one theologian put it. But now is what I have to work with, and I know I'm going to die. So, uh, you know, it's between, again, those two poles that the drama of salvation is worked out. and uh, And that's why... You know the Hail Mary cuts it to the quick of, of what we're asking you know God to help us in at, at the moments that are that are really determinative of who we are
1: that's right, so John, you know I mentioned at the, at the beginning you write often about scripture and arts, and here you are writing about you know another kind of work of art. Um, what is it that draws you about about art and um, tying it to the Christian message? How, how do you come up with your ideas <laughs>
3: Well, I've been writing about the Christmas Carol now uh, in the register probably for about 15 years on various bases, and it it strikes me that, uh, I mean, I, you know, there are some people who theorize that maybe Dickens was a closet Catholic or something, I I don't buy that, Uh, and there are some people who simply reject his, uh, you know, Christmas Carol, say it's, it's glorified commercialism and sentimentality, but I think it's got some very important messages that are applicable to Catholics, that are Catholic-friendly, and, you know, we can't abandon the culture. Uh, you, know, the church has, you know, the Church's fundamental purpose is of salvation, but the Church has created a rich culture over 2,000 years, and humanity owes a lot to the, to the uh, leavening function of the Church. So I think it's important that we look at those things that have formed our culture, that have made us as who we are as Westerners, mm-hmm. as Americans, as, as people who are uh, heirs of these traditions, and to see how they help us also to find Christ.
1: Absolutely. And I'll point out a couple of other um, pieces that were in that print edition, but also will be online around the Christmas season. Uh, one of them, and they do the same thing, John. They help uh, reflect on those cultural aspects that can also still draw us closer to Christ. One of them is uh, is a kind of a celebration of uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, which celebrates 75 years. It's the anniversary of that movie. And the title of the piece is Why the Devil Hates It's a Wonderful Life and Tried to Stop Frank Capra from making it by Matt Archibald. And then the other is Christmas Bells Ring Hopeful Notes Amid a Weary World by Don DeMarco. And that's about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who wrote Christmas Bells, the poem which uh, the familiar carol, I Heard Bells on Christmas Day, was based. A great read about a very disappointing and hard time in his life, um, but how Christmas Bells reminded him uh, that God exists and has a plan for us poor humans. <laughs> John John, thank you so much for joining us today and for writing for The Register.
3: Thank you, and I wish all our readers and listeners a blessed and Merry Christmas.
1: Stay tuned, listeners. Uh, We will be joined by Peter Jessera Smith about the best Christmas ever in just a few moments. This is Register Radio on EWTN. There's more when we return.
3: Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully.
0: Let's return to Register
3: Radio on EWTN.
1: Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined by my co-host Matthew Bunsen and Peter Jesser-Smith, who is the Register's staff writer. He lives in Rochester, New York, with his wife and three children, and like all of us, is prepping for Christmas. Uh, We have only a few days left. And Peter, I'm so grateful um, for the story that you brought to us uh, in these last uh, few days, a a story of a a remarkable story, I should say, about a parish in uh, uh, Minnesota. It's called Holy Spirit Parish, and they and their community helped uh, to serve a family. The best Christmas ever. Uh, this is what happened in this parish, and uh, who was the family? What did they receive from this Holy Spirit Parish in Minnesota? Well, thanks
0: so much for having me on, on, on Jeanette. Uh, you know, w- one of the funny things about how the story happened was I was actually working on something different. And for whatever reason, the, the sources weren't coming through on it. Um, and uh, you know, it just so happened I was talking with uh, you know, um, you know, our managing editor Tom Weiner, and he said, you know what? Why don't you just shelve that? I, I think we need a Christmas story, and <laughs> just 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 find something out there. So I said, well, okay, all right. Uh, look, looked around, and um, anyway, I came across this wonderful wonderful thing that this parish in Minnesota. Uh, has done and been a part of called... It's something called the Best Christmas Ever Movement. And, you know, one of the things that I was looking for was I was looking for what are some ways around the Christmas season that, you know, parishes are engaging in discipleship or transform the lives of the parishioners. But this particular parish really accomplished that by putting discipleship into action. And what they did was... Um, You know, part of this particular movement, uh, the Best Christmas Ever movement, it's designed to help, you know, help um, some kind of family that has fallen to very hard times through no fault of their own and to try to bring about some real transformative uh, generational change uh, in them. And what it did was it brought this entire community together. Uh, spearheaded by uh, Holy Spirit Parish.
1: Right. So stop right there for a second. So this is a, so we're talking about the best Christmas ever, and I kind of focused in on your story, which is about Holy Spirit Parish and Mm -hmm. and a particular family they helped uh, to minister to. But this is actually a movement. So there's um, a broader movement. There are many parishes involved, or, you you know, it's not even, is it even Catholic?
0: Uh, No, it's, it's uh, uh, correct. I mean, I'll, different, uh, different church communities uh, have been involved, participate. Okay. For example, so, this,
1: it's okay. It's, uh, back, back to, to Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit, Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I just wanted to be sure it was clear like, yeah. Okay. So this is a program, a movement that this parish decided mm-hmm. to participate in. And so they looked about to find uh, a, a family that they could uh, help transform for generations, this family's Correct. life. Right. So what happened? What, what, what did well, Holy Holy Spirit parish do?
0: Sure. So, what what you know? Part of this process is that the, the pastor, fr- Father Brandon uh, Moravitz, sat down with a team, and part of what happens is that there's a lot of families that are nominated in need, and they said, "Let's discern among the families within 90 miles of our parish what's going to be that one family that really sticks out to us as we can make a change." So they all prayed about it, and then they they listed. Uh, each member of his team lists their top five choices. and in all of them they had the same family. And this, this was a family. A former Marine and uh, his wife Cassie, their five kids, uh, were living in a, um, in a really a bro- bro- broken down trailer. Uh, they had fallen on hard times and because of this incredibly hot you know, housing market and skyrocketing rental market, they were just completely priced out, working full time, not able to, not able to basically get out of this situation. They'd also just lost a child, and so uh, they did some more digging and actually found out that this was a Catholic family, uh, just received in the church a few. Uh, the father had just been receiving the few church a few um, years ago and was a former marine, but. You know, with a real heart and passion for serving others, even though they'd been in such hard times. So, they discerned this was the family to help. One of the really cool things is that, you know, this is this is a regular this is a regular parish, but they said we're going to give this all to Christ, and we're going to do everything that we can to get them a home. That's all, you know. That's uh, the rent's paid for the next eighteen months. We'll get them the cash to get back on their feet, uh, presence. This became a huge movement over the next three weeks. They organized it in secret over
1: it's uh, a
0: Facebook group. That's a miracle in and of itself, that you can get 500 people in on the same secret organized over Facebook. Right. Uh, and
1: they raised 75. Uh, their goal was to raise $75,000. Um, I mean, it sounds they like they doubled even, it. Ra- yeah, they they, they, ra- they raise twice that that amount, and and Peter, I'm going to jump in because you know as your story puts it, here here on on uh, the feast of Saint Nicholas, December sixth, uh, yep. they invite this para- uh, th- this family uh, to this house, which was all decorated, Christmas tree. Uh, I'm looking at the pictures here the Christmas tree, mounds and mounds of presents, um, parishioners there, and they come with their own gifts for this yes. family. Um, because yeah. they were helping too to to raise money for this family and praying for this family who they were going to serve and help have the best Christmas ever and what do they find out but <laughs> yeah. they were the family um, that's Correct. that is absolutely amazing um, you know, go ahead the father even
0: had in his in his in his uh in his pocket a note a letter he he was going to write to this family about you know, just making it through with faith in, in, in hard times, which he knew personally. Little did he realize that this was all, you know, this is all a real act of love for him and his family. Uh, you know, and the beautiful thing is about this is, you know, a lot of people can look at this like, oh, it's just impacting one person. But really what this story that, that I, you know, I wrote here showed is that this impacted an entire community Moreover, is that, you know, it has benefited and impacted other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other people who are homeless are now being helped by this parish in in substantive ways. Uh, there's this one other man that, uh, you know, this this family had met who was homeless. And, you know, he's now actually going through our CIA. Oh, wow. um, reconnected with his family is in a They're helping him out to get into a better situation. So there's all these beautiful transformative miracles that happened and the parish became more united, united around discipleship. Um, So there was just beautiful things that were witnessed here.
2: uh, Peter, the the register published an editorial that your article and ideas helped shape. What's the message that we can really learn from this pretty remarkable story?
0: well that's a I mean that's 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 a good question I mean I think you know one of the things that to me comes to mind is that a lot of people can get overwhelmed by by the darkness and a lot of the world's problems the country's problems etc can seem so much bigger than us but the beautiful message here in which is a, a message that the that the popes have talked about, is that the gospel really does have power. And when we put into motion our discipleship, you know, when we come together as you know, not just a, a family, but as parishes, as families of families, committed to our discipleship, that can bring about real change in our communities. When various parishes all over start to do this, then you can start to really see the gospel having a very transformative, cumulative effect on society. And, and that's the thing is that it really does start with our own personal decision to follow Jesus Christ and to come together as the body of Christ to live that out together. You know, in this story, none of what was accomplished could have happened on one individual. We often we think of ourselves as individuals doing individual things but it happened because the body of Christ, every member taking their discipleship seriously, came together and produced change in one particular family that then extended to a whole community and is affecting others. We have 17,000 parishes in this country. If you think about it, if we all really commit to our discipleship in this way, and come together as the body of Christ in our parishes, working together, we can actually create, you know, through, through the grace of Jesus Christ, this transformative change that we so desperately long to see in our society. That's, that's- the secret of the early church. That secret applies today, and that's yeah, the message I think people should draw away from this.
1: Absolutely, I, I completely and entirely agree with you and in, in what you're saying, obviously, uh, brings uh, is a part of our editorial. It's the perpetual light of Christ shines amid the darkness. That's the name of our editorial. And what you've said brings to mind something that was um, in uh, Space Salvi, the, the Encyclical on Hope by Pope Benedict. And he wrote that uh, the, the Christian message that Christianity is, is not simply informative. uh, Christ didn't come to inform the world about himself only but he came to be performative to change us you know Mm -hmm. and that the Christian message should be performative today it should change us and so that's our Christmas wish (laughs) um, for the best Christmas ever is that that we as Catholics can really help uh, transform the world and and bring them to Christ Uh, thank you Peter for your story and listeners remember for more news analysis and commentary to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. From all of us at the National Catholic Register and Register Radio, I'm Jeanette DeMello, wishing you a very Merry Christmas.
0: For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.